Even long weekends are short, so why spend a second of this one on a drink run? Instead, get drinks delivered right to your door with Drizzly. Drizzly is the easiest way to find the best prices on beer, wine, and spirits, so you can get back to lighting those totally legal fireworks. Download the app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Because the long weekend will be over before this ad is. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. All right, guys, what's up? Emergency episode is here. I just interviewed Joshua Butler, who wrote the article on the Gospel Coalition, Four Causes of Deconstruction. Um, It kind of took off. People are not happy about it. So I said, you know what? Let me get Josh on the podcast. Let me throw some thoughts his way. Let me hear more about, about what he's trying to say. So that's what we did. So this is the interview. Now, listen, I know that I think in like online circles, it can be really easy to write mean things and be like, well, you're just yada, yada. I get that. But I wanted to have a real conversation. I wanted to present Josh with some thoughts and perspectives. I wanted to hear more about, about what he had to say. So if you're looking for some, you know, I got him in a corner. I just was going to town and just telling him how wrong he is. You're not going to find it here because that's not what we do. Okay. The new evangelicals were driven by our stories. I wanted to hear Josh's story. I wanted to hear what, what makes him tick, why he wrote the article that he wrote. And we can come to our own conclusions just because he has a perspective. does not mean we have to agree with it, but I also wanted to push back um, and offer for some of my own thoughts. So enjoy this interview. Uh, I hope you enjoy it at least. If you have any feedback, send it our way and we will talk soon. Oh, don't forget to subscribe and share this episode if you like it. Talk to you later. All right. I got you here, Josh. I, I, I lured you in to this conversation. <laughs> Good to meet you, Tim. Yeah, definitely grateful for the chance to talk. Yeah. Um, first off, like I said before we started recording, thank you for taking the time. You didn't have to respond to anything that I said. And I'm grateful that on really quick, short notice, you offered to come on the show and talk about your most recent article. I also want to say to the audience out there, I recommend one of your books on our resource highlight, The Skeletons in God's Closet. It, Thank you. It, yeah, it, honestly, the especially the parts about hell really helped shape some of my current journey as I've been really deconstructing hell in a lot of ways. Between you and Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, you just—it's yes. been great. So, thank you. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much, man. That's awesome. Absolutely. Before we kind of get into it, why don't you kind of give the audience a little bit about you, some of your background, what you currently do, and then we're going to hop right into it. Excellent, man. Okay, so short snapshot. Uh, Originally from Oregon, that's kind of home, born and raised. I was a pastor in Portland, Oregon for about 15 years, a church called Imago Dei. Mm. Um, and definitely, as it relates to this conversation, loads and loads of friends, people in the church, all that deconstructing, walking away from the faith. And so it was a live kind of process there. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago now, um, we moved to Tempe, Arizona. Uh, we sensed God calling us into a new season. So now I'm at a church, uh, help lead a church here. And uh, we're in Tempe. If those of you aren't familiar with Tempe, it's a part of Phoenix, but it's uh, where Arizona State University is one of the largest college campuses in the country. So it's a 
heavy college town. Um, the majority, we have a vast, you know, not the majority, the, there is a large bulk of the church is kind of college, young adult, many who have moved here from other places and are kind of reconsidering their faith, things they grew up with, process and all that. So um, as you mentioned, you know, I've written uh, two books, uh, not to kind of tout the books, but the first one is Gone's God's Closet, second one, The Pursuing God. And between those two, try to get into some of the topics that I found many people are kind of struggling or wrestling with as it relates to um, difficult subject of the faith. So for example, uh, in first one hit kind of hell, judgment, holy war. A uh, second one got more into like sacrifice, wrath and atonement, themes of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, kind of a passion project or something I love doing is I, I've wrestled with a lot of the tough topics of the faith, had to deconstruct in, in one sense, some of the uh, maybe unhealthy caricatures I had of the faith and press deeper into the Christian tradition to help get a bigger, healthier vision and understanding. And love kind of walking with people who are going through a similar process. Um, so that's the backdrop. I'm married, my wife, Holly, about 15 years. We've got three kids and uh, yeah. Great. So um, for the listeners out there, we're, I'm going to air this episode pretty quickly because I want to really get it out there while everything is happening. You know, you wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition called Four Causes of Deconstruction. Um, I think you say in the article that these are not the only causes, but they're some of the common ones. And the four that you listed were church hurt, poor teaching, um, a desire to sin, and uh, street cred. So yes. we're going to hop into all of this, especially the bottom Brilliant. two. Um, and I'm sure you know you took a pretty good swing at the hornet's nest. You know, you got some... You got some <laughs> You got some hornets buzzing around, but I, I wanna, yeah, and I, I, you know, I certainly don't represent the entire deconstruction movement by any by any means. But I'm really here on behalf of my own community that I help you know be a part of and, and help lead in some way. So let's start here. How do you yeah. define deconstruction? I know that is a big term. I know it's kind of in the eye of the beholder. How are you defining it for this article? Yes, great. So a uh, big picture, you know, I look at deconstruction as a process of. Um, well, I'd say there's two thoughts. You know, here, let me start maybe with how I used to define it. Okay. And then I'll maybe explain why some of the ways I approach it a little differently now. Sure. I used to kind of go more, hey, there's two versions of deconstruction. There's a good version and there's a bad version. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad version, I think we see represented by the serpent in the garden, which is, did God really say? And mm-hmm. here, deconstruction is kind of a dismantling of one's beliefs about God, Christ, the church, all that. Uh, but the serpent's goal in those questions is ultimately to distance us from God, to kind of disorient us uh, from and, and break us away ultimately from, or break our trust in God and move us away from kind of a union with Christ and his people. And ultimately is to kind of alienate us or push us in a different direction that's alienated from God and the church. And that's right. Uh, but then the other version, I think we see a healthy, good version of it that Jesus models where he says, um, you know, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say. And there what he's doing is he's deconstructing bad teaching and he's reconstructing good teaching or healthy teaching in its place. And uh, you could call both of those deconstruction, but they're really um, opposites of each other when it comes to the motives, like why Jesus engages deconstruction versus why the serpent does. Like Jesus's goal is ultimately to press us deeper into union with himself, deeper into a healthy understanding of the scriptures. I think when he's saying, you have heard it said, I don't believe he's saying, like, you heard the Old Testament say, but I say, I think he's saying, you have heard unhealthy interpretations or some faulty traditions. Let's break those down and get back to what the heart of the, the Hebrew Bible was really about that ultimately mm-hmm. finds this woman in me. So, um, so, so backdrop. I think I used to talk about deconstruction more as, hey, there's this good version, there's this bad version, let's be for the good version. Um, I do a nod to that in the article. You know, I think in the poor teaching section, I talk about, hey, there, there's a good version. We see Jesus doing this. Uh, but here's the challenge that I found is, experientially, I've walked with 
I, I want to say dozens, but I think realistically over, you know, in the hundreds, you know, uh, friends, family members, people in church, others who have deconstructed. And when 98.5% plus end up walking away from Jesus in the church, I feel like that's an inaccurate, like setting them up as kind of the good version and the bad version seems like um, disingenuous quantity. So my growing uh, conviction or assumption has been there is something beneath the surface of a lot of the modern deconstruction movement that I would suggest is demonic. It's divisive. It's seeking to ultimately alienate people from Jesus and his people. And that that is the primary target of what I'm talking about. And so define deconstruction there. Well, in that context, I'm talking about a dismantling of one's belief in trust in Christ and uh, relationship to him and his people in the church that, um, that loads and loads of my friends have gone down that road. Okay. I, I want to dive into this part a little bit because I, I want to get real nitty gritty if you're okay with that. When you say people walking away from Jesus in the church, obviously that can mean different things to different people. When I hear that, I'll be honest, right? What I hear you saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is people have walked away from the Jesus that they were taught about and they've walked away from the American Evangelical mm-hmm. Institutional Church and therefore now they, 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 they've left their faith. But are you saying that or are you saying now they don't believe in any kind of higher power? They're just straight up atheists. That's a great question. Yeah. So no, I am. A, and those who know me big picture and, uh, you know, in the context of broader ministry, stuff, no, I am a big C church guy. So okay. I am for Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, Anabaptist, house church, big church, like whatever. Like, so I'm talking more about like Nicene Creed, the big picture here of um, big picture in terms of Nicene Creed, what we believe and how we live and those kind of things. So I believe there's a lot of room for disagreement on kind of secondary matters. And, and, and uh, man, I disagree with friends of mine who are Christians on all sorts of, you know, so sure. um, yet on the same hand, I, you know, I look to uh, and have relationship with Catholic leadership here in the city that I see as brothers and sisters in Christ, or a lot of friends who are Anglicans in that sphere. I just spoke at a, uh, an Anabaptist uh, Mennonite conference here last week on atonement type stuff. And uh, I myself, I kind of land in the Reformed uh, tradition, reformed edition, many of my own convictions, but mm. uh, I don't see that as like, uh, oh, no, you're leaving our camp, you know, that kind of thing, which I know many are, and, uh, and we're friends, and I see them as brothers and sisters in Christ and other traditions. But what I'm, I'm referring to more, um, the trajectory ex- in, in my experience of a lot of this, and again, this may be limited, I think maybe if it's in the South or in different places might be different, but mm. in my hometown of Portland and here on a college campus, the trajectory of the bulk of what I've seen under the umbrella deconstruction is a walking away from Nicene big capital C church and Christ. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So I definitely have a much bigger picture of the umbrella than like, oh, they're leaving our tribe, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, um, but I, I don't, but even with that kind of big frame, I still see the trajectory for. Most yeah, of I, know. I, I think I, sh- I I hear what you're saying, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out, and a lot of this is experience. I I, I by the way, you're the second person from Portland who has that perspective of deconstruction. So I I, sure. I live in New Jersey. I'm on the East Coast, right? So for sure, you know, our our context and played a role in how we see this, no doubt about that. 
Um, I'm struggling because, like, for example, someone like Trip Four, who's a theologian, homebrewed Christianity, you know, I don't know if he would even, you know, hold to all the points of the Nicene Creed, but I would still see him as a Christian. So, like, what I'm saying is, I, what I'm trying to get down to is, is, is this for you, like, hey, you've hit boundaries that I think you have to adhere to to be labeled somewhere Christian, or is this, man, my, my buddy Bob, who was a great churchgoer, now just a hardcore atheist, wants the church to burn? Is that what we're talking about? Or is it like, actually, I, I'm not sure about the virgin birth. I'm still wrestling through that. I'm not sure where I land. You're like, whoa, whoa, deconstruction is too far gone at this point. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, no, no, I'd say, uh, and here, here's kind of the crux for me, is sort of like trajectory, you know? So is sure. the trajectory, I would say, towards union with Jesus and his people, or is it away from that? And um, what I'm concerned with is in my, so I fully, everyone who knows me, if you, you know, my books, other articles, things like that, I'm all about wrestling with tough topics of the faith, people having big questions and space to grapple with that, space for doubt, space for all that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no sense here where it's like going, hey, just shut up and believe or, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, sure. But what I am with is more of the broad-based trajectory and some of the underlying um, motives or realities that are driving that. And the big picture for me is going, dude, is this moving you towards union with Christ and his people or away from it? And I have a pretty broad Ten, I don't even know if I want to define explicitly like what that means, you know, but just, uh, but given a very broad, generous vision of what union with Jesus and his people means, is this taking you there or away from there? And the experience, again, just kind of experientially in, let's sure. take Portland, for example. Yeah. Uh, in that context, what I saw was um, loads of people transplanting from another part of the country, right? So I, I think with urbanization day, we see people moving from all over to cities where the good jobs and different things are. And so what I saw was a lot of people who left their hometown, found themselves in a new kind of cultural environment and mm. found themselves grappling with, I don't know if I really believe what I believed before. And now I'm trying to almost like, who am I now in this new environment? I think similar in a college town, it seems um, to be a major motif of people who are maybe uprooted from some of their norms and are kind of reprocessing. And obviously I think, you know, many just are, that doesn't cover the fullness of the American experience of people who are deconstructing. But sure, sure. within those within those backdrops, the vast majority of the folks that I found, like the language and movement of deconstruction almost became making the process virtuous of walking away from Jesus and his people. Like under the banner of sort of like this authentic wrestling, that became sort of the banner of virtue under which people were ultimately moving away from where I would find my own convictions where the true source of healing in life is found. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I think I follow you there. And you, in, in your experience, you would say there's, there's are people who are moving away from the evangelical institution into probably nothing. Just like, okay, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not going to look anywhere else. That kind of idea as well. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. And I even broader than the evangelical institution, but yeah, yeah that, that's more the, uh, that, that's the context in which I'm, Okay. So, right. Well, yeah, me as, me, totally me as well. You know, that's why we're called the New Evangelicals, right? That is our context. I think my last, my last maybe point about this point, and then we're going to move on, and maybe we'll circle back. Is you know, I, I think a lot of people, and again, I don't, I'm not claiming to be the spokesperson, you know, on behalf of every person deconstructing, but at least on behalf of New Evangelicals, right? A lot of us are realizing that even in the Bible there are major things that happen that might look at the time heretical. I mean, a great example of this, and you know the Bible better than I do, so if I, if I miss anything, you tell me. But a great 
example of this, the, the great example of this is the Apostle Paul saying, actually, yeah. Jewish people, I think circumcision is of the heart, not a physical mm-hmm. thing, right? Now, Paul was really going against the scriptures of his day, the tradition of his day, whatever the Nicene Creed was of his day. Paul was like, actually, on second thought, you know, I'm thinking maybe it's this circumcision of, of the heart. So certainly we've seen major movements in Christian thought where things really got shaken up. And, and we also see this even more recently with the Reformation, right? Of course, Martin Luther, this is low-hanging fruit, but he comes along, nails his theses to the Catholic Church. They want to burn him alive. And now we stand on his shoulders calling him a hero, like for what he did. Do you think that 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 at least some of this deconstruction is just that? And, and really, maybe right now, a lot of people in your shoes are just like, kind of freaked out because maybe who, where are we going to land with like what's orthodox and not? Great. No, great question. Well, uh, Pizos, maybe first kind of, you know, uh, to use the Paul circumcision example, like uh, I, I don't see, uh, you know, I don't want to get off track on the tangent here, sure, sure. but I wouldn't see the tone there being like, oh crap, actually maybe it's, you know, like I think he's much more going, oh dude, here's the fulfillment, like the Ezekiel, the Jeremiah, like man, God's saying, hey, you got circumcised foreskins, but your hearts are still hardened against me, but the day is coming when I'm going to circumcise your hearts. I'm going to take away your hardened heart, restore it with a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. And the meaning of that is I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can live into a fuller obedience. And so I think for Paul, he's going, dude, that has come in Christ. Like mm-hmm. Christ has taken on this, the power of sin and hell and death. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's poured out his presence and his presence is not just in front of us. It's actually coming within us. It's mm-hmm. renewing and restoring the heart, the affections, the desires, all that. And so I see Paul seeing it as fulfillment rather than contradiction pressing in. But you know, sure. so that, that would be an example there. But then as it relates to the, um, the a related question is to your point, I do think, I do think, you know, defining deconstruction in a particular way, I think there's some good versions. Of this. And I, I nod to that in the article. There are other, there, there are good versions of deconstruction. So one good version of deconstruction, I think is, um, we're talking about the heart, circumcision of the heart, you know? So when you're a kid, I didn't grow up in the church, but friends who did, they learned, hey, Jesus is in your heart, you know? And they probably had this figure, you know, picture of like Jesus, like a little stick figure in the aorta. That's, and whatever else, that's you know? me, he's here somewhere. Yeah. No, he's right, he's right in there. And you get a little older, it's like, dude, you gotta kind of deconstruct the simplistic version in order to grow to a more mature understanding of like, okay, well, what did, what is the deeper out of that signified or represented? Well. It's, you know, the heart, like Jesus renewing our affections and the desires of, you know, of our hearts through the presence and beauty and power of his spirit. So, um, but I wouldn't see that in the mainstream movement of deconstruction. Like, I don't really see it being used to describe that. Uh, but to your point as well, I think reform, for those who are calling for reform, I'm, I'm there too. You know, like I, I think, say as it relates to abuse in the church uh, and many of the things that are being exposed and revealed, I say yes and amen to the exposure and the revealing and the calling for justice and accountability. So if we're talking about reform for the church to make it more holy, to make it a more accurate depiction of Christ and who he is and what it looks like, I'm like, yes and amen. Like, that kind of deconstruction, I'll take all day long, right? The uh, And if we're talking about, um, I lost my train of thought. There was one other thing there, but uh, you know, so I, I do think if we're talking about that, if we're talking about the confrontation with Dude, I think there are idols in the church today. There are other, I mentioned earlier seeing demonic underpinnings, sometimes some of the ideology and the undercurrent beneath some of what's yeah. deconstructed. But I also see that in like militaristic nationalism today in the church, the way that's infected and other things yeah. as well. So um, it's not a, hey, this is the one bogeyman, you know, uh, those familiar with me writing, talking, processing, like 
yeah it's all over the place you know so um well i think i think one of the reasons why you've you've probably seen a lot of the pushback from your article is because a lot of people in my circles who would say that they're they're deconstructing by the way just so you know for how i use that term i the way we define it a lot is deconstruction is is re-examining things you were taught as absolutely true and seeing if they're true or not that's what it really comes down to um and that might make you land different places but we can go there in a minute but i think a lot of people who are in this space are screaming from the top of their lungs about the yeah. rampant issues of widespread abuse. People who are abused are speaking up. And guess what? They're overwhelmingly being silenced. And now, this is not an, an, uh, um, this is not on you, but to be clear, I want to say this publicly, the, I follow the Gospel Coalition. They are very quiet on Christian nationalism. They are really big on deconstruction. They have a book coming out about deconstruction. And I think that frustrates a lot of people when we're saying, hey, we're down to have these, I'm down to have the conversation with you, TTC. I'll come on any show you want and talk about this but can you please acknowledge that when 80 percent of white evangelicals are voting for trump and and and, and pushing false QAnon conspiracies one in one in, in four evangelicals believe some form of QAnon. why isn't that the big thing that we are talking about because i'll tell you what deconstruction for all all of maybe some of its flaws it is calling the church in america in evangelicalism to repent because it sees it and i'm a product of the evangelical church i grew up in it homeschooled the whole nine love yeah. jesus you know and because yeah. of my faith it's led me to this place where i say I don't know if I can do this in the evangelical institution, guys. Like, I, I don't know how this is happening. So I think that's why a lot of people get really frustrated when articles like this come out. You know, again, I'm not attacking you as a person. I understand that you have good intentions here. But when an article like this comes out, we go, of course, of course, another one about what we're doing is wrong. Meanwhile, you know, the evangelical institution, the SBC, who's fighting over if they should have a lawyer's, uh, lawyer, whatever it's called, lawyer confidentiality waived or not for a sexual abuse, you know, uh, probe. That's what they're fighting about. But we're the bad guys for deconstructing. Does that kind of make sense? No, that makes sense. You know, a few thoughts. One would be, I mean, just personally, where am I? Sure, sure. I, I preached a sermon earlier this year on how QAnon is a satanic cult. <laughs> and I got me some real hate mail here. Give at me home, that. You know? I want that sermon. Send it over to me. I want a copy of that. Uh, but in that sermon, I quoted an article from the Gospel Coalition, like because you know, like like on that on that piece. Sure. Uh, many of my friends who um, are involved in, T- I'm not here to plant the flag for TGC or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, network and you know, there's a loose, there's an affiliation of people who are in different spots. But, right. um, but uh, you know, I have many friends who are in kind of the TGC world who I have seen in their own cities leading the charge on equipping churches to confront abuse and deal proactively with. I was just on a talk with you know i've been walking with a friend of mine who's a pastor in another city right now who's basically um and he's heavily involved with tgc and he's at the forefront he's just lost three quarters of their elder board and and significant fallout in the church over confronting and exposing abuse Hmm. um Hmm. by leadership you know and so like i i think i get I, I read the news, I see the media picture, but I also think in the trenches, there's there's a complexity there. And at mm. least relationally, experientially, like I see a lot of, um, I don't know, folks on the front lines. But I, on the same hand, I don't want to ignore or minimize, dude, I see the national stuff and the realities and I'm like, Bleh. you know, I, I just feel. Right. Just, 
And I mean, obviously it is difficult, right, to, to get, I mean, everyone's trying to put their finger on the pulse here, right? Like what's actually happening? We're trying to get data that, 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 that we can find, Pew Research, this poll, that poll. So this certainly is murky. Um, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, and, and again, my experience, we get over 200 DMs a day. So I've gotten tons yeah. of people who have stories about how, you know, their abuser abused them and is still in leadership. You know, it's like, oh my God. So it, it, it definitely could be... Um, it's really a mix of things. It's really murky, but I, I well, do want. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I'd say one of the last things on it, please, please. Uh, maybe like the motive in writing the article, and and this may I don't know. Maybe it wasn't as clear. Or, I don't know. But anyways, regardless, say why I write it. Um, it was not to say like here's the one and only most important issue that everyone needs to focus on talking about. A lot of it was more um, for many pastors, church leaders, people in ministry, and people that I I know what I'm walking with. There's a phenomenon right now of loads of their friends, family, people in their churches, whatever, like uh, walking away. And in some cases, yeah, maybe they need to go somewhere else, right? Uh, if it is toxic and all that. But um, but I think loads of people are going, dude, how do we navigate this? And behind you know, behind this, part of it has been, I think, often in the uh, in certain wings of the church, and I myself have been a part of this in the past. I approach deconstruction primarily as simply an intellectual problem, um, primarily and almost only through kind of the, what I call the poor teaching grid, you know, I think that's an aspect of it, but over 20 years of ministry and walking with loads of, uh, of folks who have gone deconstruction and walked away, like part of this was realizing um, there's often more beneath the surface that's going on. And I think part of it, the big picture was going like, rather than just focusing on deconstruction as quote unquote, the problem or whatever, let's to, to walk well with family or friends or people in our church who are wrestling. It's helpful to kind of peel beneath the surface and go, dude, what are some of the deeper realities that are going on? Like a lot of people, it's really about church hurt. And if you're giving them a stack of apologetics books to read, that's not even going to touch what they're really dealing with. You know, a lot of people, and we'll get into this, but yep. experientially, I would say desire to sin has been a big one, you know, and I usually didn't find out till later. Um, and so, um, it's been naive. I think at times I've been naive to think, I, you know, yeah, it's just an intellectual thing. And then finding out going, man, there was a lot more going on beneath the surface there. Mm. And then, yeah, there's a lot of social pressure today. Mm. And so I think part of the background was going, I used to, and many I know still are approaching the deconstruction almost primarily or solely mm. through the intellectual lens of here's the tough questions people have and the problems. And 20 years of ministry with loads of people who are going to do, there's often a lot more going on beneath the surface. So let's yeah. try and start talking about what are some of the, the things. And I mentioned, as you said, the list is not exhaustive. I didn't mean to be, here's the be all end all, but here's some common ones that at least in my experience have shown up a lot. Yeah. Why don't we go through these, these four while we have some time? I think that, that might be good for the, the listeners out there. And, you know, I have a lot of questions, especially about the bottom two. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into those. So I think you and I would find a lot of agreement on, on the church hurt part, which actually does make me ask the question of, you know, it seems like what, again, from my vantage point, what I'm seeing a lot of people, including myself, what's happening is a lot of us who grew up in the church our whole lives were taught the Bible is God's absolute word. It's it's perfect in all ways. You know, hell's eternal where you're going to burn forever. In my case, I grew up Calvinist, so God's pre-selected before the foundations of the earth. Some people to go to heaven, some go to hell, but he's all loving, etc. Right? We start waking up and we start going, I don't know, this doesn't make sense. I'm trying to reconcile it. And the answers I'm being given after I ask these questions are just not sufficient, right? Then we start discovering other sources of theology. We discover Pete Enns, Bible for Normal People. We discover the Bible Project. Project. We discover NT right, you know, and all of a sudden we're like, 
oh, this is like a gateway drug into some deeper theology. And then we start going like, wait, and when I'm asking these questions to my church and coming to these conclusions, my church is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a heretic or I'm progressive. I'm a liberal now. I mean, that, that's essentially what happened to me, frankly. My, my church of six months ago, I've been there for six years, told me either I stopped doing new evangelicals or I stopped serving on the team of worship, what I love to do. You know, And so I say that because I think church plays a big role in it, but my question is, why does it, it's, at least to me, it seems like the institutional American, you know, whatever, evangelical movement and all of its quirks and all of its bigness is really targeted mostly on the deconstruction part, not on the church part, not on the leaders who taught me this stuff that have give, that really gave me an existential crisis at some point in my life, wondering how God can be loving, but also he damned my brother to hell who never, who isn't a Christian and, and refuses to get saved. So I, my question is why an article on deconstruction and not on why we need to really start talking about how our theology in many evangelical spaces is doing way more harm than good? Great question. Yeah. So uh, first side note, man, dude, I love Bible Project and N.T. Wright. Like, you know, Tim Mackey or the Bible Project is a good friend and good history with him. And so uh, Pete Enns, God bless him. You know, uh, I see things pretty differently from him in a lot of areas. But yeah, N.T. Wright, Bible Project, go. Sure, okay. sure. Um, you know, but bigger picture, uh, why this and not this? And dude, I think, you know, the reality is, for me, it's a both and not an either or. Uh, I, I believe in and believe myself to be about um, a lot of the stuff you meant. You know, like uh, as it relates to some of the bad teaching, you know, like you grew up in a church where I was told this and this and this and whatever. Um, man, I'm pouring not only hours, weeks, you're into trying to write resources that can help people that are struggling with those questions. So I've poured way more time into resources like that than I have this quick little article on deconstruction, right? So, sure, um, sure. so in terms of time spent, uh, as it relates to the national stuff, um, there's a couple, I mean, just let's so hear more from me personally than the broader representing the church. Sure. But for me personally, um, dude, there has been, I just say, really, dude, like I, I get overwhelmed kind of what can I do at that level with yeah. my own stream authority, but I'm a part of a church that's got pretty big footprint here in Arizona. And that's not a boast. That's just like, dude, maybe the best action I can pour in is trying to help make us healthy and well as 10 congregations, one church. I'm one of those, but uh, one of those congregations, but we're part of one church, 10 congregations here in the area. I want to pour a lot of time and energy into, dude, how can we model healthiness in a way that those who need to get out of a toxic environment have a safe and healthy place to come to and those who, and, and being in an environment where there is accountability and justice. So to give an example, uh, this last year and a half, we've removed two lead pastors from two of our congregations because of what we saw as poor character issues. And we didn't wait till it got massive and big and blew up. We tackled it quickly when we saw stuff come out of the gate. Um, within our church, I've given a couple messages on abuse in the church this year and really trying to help give people the, 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 the freedom to name their stories and identify that and to... Um, name how we're seeking to create a leadership structure and things here where there's accountability. So, so all I have to say, like, um, personally, man, I, I feel like I'm spending loads, monumentally more loads of my time addressing the very two things you mentioned. Right. Uh, but I also think that the deconstruction piece is a real piece too, though, where, uh, for a lot of folks, I mean, in my mind, the article was not so much a, um, 
it was plant the flag on this is the one and only big issue. Uh, it was more trying to equip and resource folks going, there is this phenomenon and we're seeing loads and loads of friends and family struggling with the faith, walking away. And often the only thing we know how to do is like, hey, read this book that somebody wrote, you know? And, um, and so I do want to uh, help catalyze a conversation around dude, how can we have more categories than just the apologetics book um, yeah. for that? And if I can push a little, I'm not on you, but of course, on, you push. this is maybe a, you know, we talked about like the, the, the church hurt and then the poor teaching. My experience has been kind of like, I think the conservative wing of the church tends to lean into the poor teaching grid. Like, Hey, they just don't, they, they just don't have the right theology. You know, if we could just give them the right answers or the, you know, uh, I don't know, we get Josh McDowell on it and get whoever, you know, like reasons to believe, or I don't know, something like that. We, if we can create these apologetics, that's going to solve it. And dude, I just see that as like tip of the iceberg, whatever, you know? Um, but on the progressively end of the spectrum, I, my experience would be it's primarily the church hurt grid seems to be dominant and primary. And so, um, uh, which is legit as is poor teaching, you know? Uh, but, uh, there can often at times be a minimizing or missing out on like, dude, there are these other facets to this conversation. Um, like the ones we'll get into, you know? Uh, so mm -hmm. at the end of the day, going like, dude, it's a phenomenon that's impacting loads of people that we all know and love that, you know, that I've been through yeah. experiences of, hey, God, what do I do with this? What do I believe? Right. And, uh, and so I do think it's important in order to love well, you know, like how do we love well people who are wrestling and struggling with topics like these? Yeah, I think what I'm saying is that people, at least the ones I'm engaged with, the ones in my community are not making this up, right? They're not like, Hey, you know, one day I'm like, I just needed a reason not to believe in Jesus. Instead. It's like, yeah. I gave everything to my local church. I volunteered the 30 hours. I tithed. I did growth track. I did all the theology. I inhaled the books. I had my personal quiet time. And when I started asking questions and started wondering if the answers I was given weren't sufficient, they said, you're out. I mean, th this is a, I cannot express to you. We did, I'm not lying to you. We've seen over 10,000 DMs this year. Okay. I mean, we, we get a lot of DMs and that is a common theme that I get all the time. These are so I think that for some people who maybe and I'm not saying you, but maybe the people you represent in this article who would read this and go like, "Ah, oh, yeah, this is the proof I need. It's street credits. They just want to sim more, it's church hurt, whatever." I think what happens is those people don't understand that it's not the people who are attending every other week in their service. It's the ones who are all in, who who played the game correctly. I mean, my wife and I, we waited to have sex before we were married. We didn't say swear words, we didn't drink. Like I did it right. Okay, and it still wasn't enough to reconcile. Once I started exploring what I call the way I frame it is, once I got out of the basement of American evangelicalism and said, "Oh my God, there's a huge house here of Christian thought that is way bigger and way beyond what I ever thought." Once I started opening those doors, it the the, the door behind me shut and said, "Sorry, you're too far gone." That is a common experience that we've experienced with this church, which is why I agree with you. It's a big yeah. deal. I just think maybe we're asking the wrong people. <laughs> I'm like, don't ask me. Ask the people who who told me this stuff. Like, I, I'm just. This is where my where these teachings led to in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. Well, and hey, if you know, if we're talking about reconstruction, you know, like like clearing the ground or honestly naming the tensions, or to, like you're saying, dude, man, I stepped out of this particular bubble I was in and saying like, Oh my gosh, cause that's been, I, I mean, for me as well, I love the GK Chesterton line where he's like, 
know, the image of being like a man setting sail from England and going on this long, arduous journey and then landing on this new land that he's never been to before. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is wonderful, beautiful. And finding out it was Christendom, right? Like Christianity and the whole, the whole thing. And I do think that, you know, for many, there is this, um, uh, it's like, you know, I've been in this bubble and then I step out of it and I'm like, whoa, when I look at the capital C church, big picture, like there's beauty and there's so much more. And, you know, like there's, yeah. there's that rich. Yes and amen to that. Um, again, this could come back to some of the experiential piece, but just that has not been how I would describe over 98% of mm. folks that I've walked with the journey with was they're using yeah. You know, so fair enough. Fair um, enough. And, and to be fair, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that as I mentioned at the beginning, in the past, I used to kind of hold those up here. There's a good way to do it, there's a bad way to do it. Um, partly coming out of that experience, I've been pr- more prone today to kind of frame here's the negative, but there is some positive within it, you know, like, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Let's move on to number two, poor teaching. You read that, you know, you wrote that, I'm going to quote you here in the first paragraph. Some Christians have been led to believe they must choose between faith and science, which is totally accurate. Hello, Ken Ham. Because of poor teachings on Genesis 1, others have been led to believe God is a vindictive sadist from a popular character of hell. Absolutely. Best abandon Christian faith entirely on account of some dubious or sloppy teaching, right? Now, again, this is probably your experience, right? 98.5% of the people that you've engaged would say yes. I would say, hell no. No, most of us are like, no, not at all. We're, I would argue that a lot of us are trying to go deeper to understand, you know, how like like in your book, Skeletons of God's Closet, right? This idea that hell maybe isn't what we think it is, but maybe it's something completely different. And it's like, oh, like, yes, love that. That makes more sense. That, that reconciles more. It, it puts more pieces in the puzzle. So that's how a lot of, I think, my, uh, our community would, would take the poor teaching part. But what are some of your thoughts on it? That's great. Yeah. And when I say 98.5%, I'm not thinking the poor teaching slide. I'm thinking kind of the whole, like the walking away from union with Jesus and his people is kind of the trajectory. Um, But on this one, yeah, you know, I think of a good buddy of mine who, a doctor, medical community, and like really, uh, but grew up in a tradition where it's like, dude, Genesis 1 or science, you know, which one do you believe in? And like led to a real crisis of vocation. Like, can I actually, I'm leading, I'm teaching others in my medical, and I feel like it's two separate, whatever, you know? So that's real. Obviously, uh, Skeleton's book, I get into the health topic is one even personally for me, I grappled with and, yeah. and kind of where, where that led to. Um, but uh, big picture, yeah, you know, I think some of the responses that came from there, there was, you know, one person who, just an example. And one person was like, dude, this doesn't represent me. Here's my story. Read this. And I loved reading it. It was beautiful. There was vulnerability. There was transparency. With I really loved Jesus. And then, I, But um, it came down to, uh, then I got exposed to textual criticism, basically. And I realized, like, this doesn't work. And I'm just going, well, yeah, then you had some poor teaching, you know, or at least there's an implicit sense of, like, the Bible is like the book dropped out of heaven or so, you know, versus like, you know, yes. healthy understanding of humanity and divinity wrapped up together into the process. And like, right. Dude, you actually use some good teaching on like the development of the canon and biblical, like, like totally. how, how we got to all that kind of stuff. Right. So, right. Um, so I do think there's a real place for that. And even like, I can't tell you how many people like you, you know, getting all the DMs, uh, um, how many people have reached out over the years with skeletons being a game changer? And that's not to boast about the book, but it's going, dude, there are these topics that people really struggle with and that can be a real heartfelt challenge. And so um, I do think that uh, one of the, I think one of the responsibilities that God has entrusted his church with is teaching. And we do a crap 
poor job of it sometimes, you know? And the yes. aftermath of that, the fallout of that is bad. And so right. like, implicitly, yeah, implicitly, like I'm kind of, I don't implicitly I am saying that you, because it's your shirt, it's implying like, dude, this church is, we do a really bad job. And poor teaching going, dude, we do a really bad job teaching, you know? So sometimes, and so I do think that there's uh, a, an importance in a healthy place. If someone has, is wrestling with the gospel just doesn't make sense anymore because of this topic or that topic. Um, the invitation to like, I think there's some resources out there that could help. Yeah. I mean, well, Tim Mackey does a great job of kind of explaining how the Bible is human and God at the same time. Right. Like he's brilliant at that. I love, like I said, it, my dream interview is Tim Mackey. Just so you know, I would just cry my eyes out the whole time because he honestly, him and his podcast really saved my faith at a crucial time in my life. So I'm grateful for that. Awesome. Um, but I, I wanted, I really want to park here for a minute. And I, again, if you have to go soon, let me know, but man, this is just such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, you, and I don't, Please don't take this the wrong way. You mentioned yeah. earlier that, that that you didn't grow up in church, okay? Sure. And that might be one piece of the puzzle that maybe why people like me are just so maybe like um, emotional about this, right? Because when you're sat in front of a fire at five years old and told, hey, Tim, you know, if you don't receive Christ, you're going to go to a place like that forever, you know, right. that really screws with your head. And and I'm not I'm not I'm not an exception to that rule. There are millions of people who were taught that. And today you have people like Al Moore, head of the SBC, who believe that you know Genesis one is literal. And if you don't see it that way, you're just you're just not really a good Christian because the Bible's inerrant. I mean, this stuff still exists now. I I really don't want to overstate my case, but but to me, my question would be like, yes, I completely agree. So why are we writing an article about poor teaching on our end when we're the ones who were taught poor teaching? Like, where's the accountability for the Al Mowers, for the James Whites of the world, for the Doug Wilsons who are still abusing, hiding abusers, teaching horrible things, right? So I, I don't want to make it seem like, I don't want to overplay this. I believe in this, but you know, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, we're just victims here. But my goodness, like when you're taught that from age zero through your whole life, it's drilled into your head over and over about eternal conscious torment and the Bible's inerrant. And, and the impression you get, right, is the Bible was beamed down from God's pen to our ear. And then you discover Bart Ehrman, right, at age 19, and you go, wait, we don't even have any of the original autographs? Right now, whose fault is that at that moment? It's not mine that I didn't know, but now I know. Now I'm like, my paradigms are totally blown. And so I think that 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 that's a major pain point for a lot of us is like, I agree with you 100%, Josh. Like, poor teaching is an issue, it is rampant. In, in modern evangelical circles. I mean, it's rampant. And so I'm on board with you. I, and I think that's why I was not frustrated, but kind of like perplexed. Like, I agree, but why write this about deconstruction people? Like, we're not the ones who are at fault here. It's those other guys. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, no, that's that's a great question. Well, first to just own, it's true to you. I didn't, I didn't grow up with that experience. So I don't have that backdrop, you know, in my in my bones, so sure, to speak. Sure, sure. Um, I do think, you know, uh, when when I, the context for talking about poor teaching was not to say in the article the context was not to say like uh, people who are deconstructing are responsible for poor teaching <laughs> like like uh, I I mean I, I think there are some advocating for deconstruction out there that have some shoddy teaching out there, you know but that wasn't what the article was was, was going to get at right. um, in my mind the responsibility for 
church hurt, you know, or let's say let's, the responsibility for abuse in the church is on the church is on the leadership of the church. The responsibility for poor teaching on the church is on the church. So mm-hmm. yes and amen. I'm I'm uh, all for dude holding us accountable as the church to I just last Sunday was gonna get in on <laughs> Dude, like how the spirit empowers a greater obedience amongst people and greater and like Jesus walking amongst the churches in revelation. And like, dude, he's just calling out like, dude, you think you're here, but you're here. And like, Jesus seems to have no problem confronting the church. Paul seems to have no problem confronting the, right. the you know, the realities, how messed up things are in the church. And he's con- and he confronts leaders with a higher responsibility. So I feel that, you know, as a leader, I feel like, man, signing up for, this gig was like putting a bullseye on my back, man. Like, dude, I'm going to sure. be held to a higher sure. account and all that. So, um, so if the question is, why are we not talking about uh, the church being held responsible for poor teaching? Dude, I'm all for that. Like we, we yeah. should be, and I'm hoping to live into that. Um, but the, to kind of come back to, well, why would I talk about that here? Um, really, I'm thinking more experientially, practically, Hmm. Uh, as I'm walking with someone who is going through deconstruction, yeah. I'm going, what's the end game? Like, what's where do I hope to get them to? And my conviction is that the end game he is Jesus. You know, it's it's life with him, it's union with him. And theologically, I believe that you can't have union with Jesus without union with his people. You know, and so recognizing that one obstacle for people getting there is they've been taught some really crappy stuff and we got to own that as the church and we've done a crappy job teaching some stuff, you know? Um, but if I'm walking with someone who that's where they're at, it's like, dude, the water I want to try and lead you to is, is here. And I believe there are resources to help get you there. Sure. Like you mentioned sure. how the Bible project, it feels like you that helped save my faith. Me NT right. Right. The huge one for many people, things like that. Where, um, yeah, and so, anyways, yeah, if, if that makes sense, that's no, it, 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 makes, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, you're breaking up for a minute there. I didn't know if you stopped. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense, and I also think, two just quick thoughts, not so much for you to uh respond on. Um, oh, did I lose you? Kind of frozen right now. Okay, you're back. Back. All right. Yes. So, I uh, just two quick thoughts, not for you, you don't have to respond to these, but they're just up. Oh, I lose you again. Uh, no, I can hear you. Okay. Uh, two quick thoughts. Yeah. So number one, um, I think one of my one of my personal pain points, right, with how I grew up wasn't even so much that 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 they held certain convictions. It was that they were presented as absolute truth. Like, hey, if you don't see it this way, pff, I mean, are, do you even believe the gospel? And I'm really drawing on like the apology of radio types, like this really ultra, but that, 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 that's the position, right? Like if you don't, this is a, Bethel's a false gospel. Elevation's a false gospel. Everything's a false gospel, but them. So I think that that's one of my beefs is like, guys, can we just admit that the Christian tradition is massively huge? There's like five different mainstream versions of atonement theory, even though I've only been taught one, you know? So I think that's point number one. And point number two is, I think that what a lot of us are, are, rec- are wrestling with when it comes to this idea of like, don't forsake the gathering, which in a way I agree with, but I think what a lot of us are realizing is there's a difference between the gathering of the church versus what we map onto the church as an institution. And institutions yeah. come and go, right? I mean, the the way that, that that the church was organized with Constantine looks a little bit different now than how it's organized today. So the institutional part for me is really flexible. You know, if the SBC dismantled tomorrow, the gospel would still go forth. You know, we, the, the, the whole weight of God's redemption work is 
is not on Hillsong or Elevation or how even evangelicalism does things. So I think a lot of us are like, well, if that's the case, maybe there's some new boundaries that we can experiment with as we kind of try to renegotiate what it means to be a, a local gathering in our neighborhood that is loving God and loving people well. Does that kind of make sense? No, totally. And I mean, coming back to something we talked about earlier, man, I'm a big C church guy, you know, like for the whole, whole so, uh, you know, we actually had someone complaining recently, like, oh, we played a Bethel song. And I'm like, yeah, we did. And I love, listening to Bethel, you know, right. I, I love like, uh, like, I, like, I mean, man, working with, Catholics in our city, Anglican, Roman Catholics, like Orthodox, like, dude, I'm for the big C church. And we, and we have, and dude, I want to own. Okay. So we're just owning. I am in, you know, my theological convictions are broadly reformed. Right. Um, and one of the hesitations I have sometimes with it though, is there is a reputation uh, from some right here in our own city for an arrogance, a uh, tone that's arrogant, that's condescending, that's, we got it all right. Everyone else is all wrong. You know, and so um, I, I have my, my, my theological convictions and tradition. I'm, and I'm not ashamed of it. Like I, I believe in them strongly and, you know, a lot of process and whatever. So that's one conversation. But I do want to own that um, in my own camp, so to speak, there are a lot of things that reek to me of arrogance and pride. And I think hurt more than help the kind of things that we're yeah. talking about, people wrestling with faith and all. So fair enough. If that's the conversation, then. Yes and amen. Okay. For sake of time, I want to keep moving. And again, I, I really appreciate you making time so short on such uh, short notice. So number three, and this is, this might be a big one. I don't want to park here too long, but we should talk about it. Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. desire to sin. Now, um, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just unpack that a little bit more for our audience, and I'll ask my questions. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Okay, cool. So on the desire to sin, uh, so the uh, I was maybe a story is a good way to illustrate. You know. So I've had two elders over the years that I've served under deconstruct. And, uh, you know, one, one example of this was you calling me up, Hey, can we grab a beer? So we hit the pub. We're talking. I, see, I just can't believe in God anymore. And he kind of starts walking through and dude, this feels like freshman in college reasons. It's like, dude, there's Buddha and there's Muhammad and there's Jesus. How do I know which one? It's like, dude, you know, this. so, you know, but we press in, we kind of go through the whole process. He ends up deconstructing, stepping out as an elder, walking away from the church, the whole thing. And uh, then about three months later, it comes out, he's been having an affair for two plus years um, that uh, prior to the whole deconstruction process beginning. Uh, now that's one story anecdotally, but I've found over the years of the hundred plus people, friends who walk away, uh, not, I'm not saying everyone who deconstructs is desiring to sin. Like, again, these are multiple causes. It's not a broad brush stroke, but I think it would be naive to think that that's not a cause for some, you know, and my personal conviction is that church leadership is more prone to that. Like often when church leaders deconstruct, it's because there's still a face you want to save, you know, um, by I've got, and here, here's my, my concern. So I mean, I'm an Augustinian. So St. Augustine, uh, particularly as it relates to a theology of like anthropology, how humans work. And one big thing would be, I think going to this article, this is off script, I guess, but uh, theology of the heart, like the affections going, we, uh, we tend to think of ourselves primarily of like our behavior, our reason, our rationality, but ultimately we're creatures of the heart, creatures of desire who are ultimately driven more by what we want, what we love, what we desire. And so I think that often what the mind wants, the heart, or what the heart wants, the mind justifies. Um, and sometimes even unbeknownst to ourselves. So this can happen to me. There have been times over the years where it's become kind of a good check engine light for me in my own life is where 
Um, man, God, I don't know if I could buy their house. Or, you know, and then I kind of stop and I like, and then I go, man, okay, God, if I'm getting honest, transparent internally, I'm actually really feeling the pull towards some places I shouldn't be going or things I shouldn't be wanting, whatever, you know? And when I got honest with that, some of the intellectualization of the stuff kind of fades away and disappears. So sure. the claim would be that one cause, not the only cause, but a cause, um, uh, for some in the deconstruction process is there's a desire to sin. And I think if I can, to, and to justify that sin, and I think if I can make God look like the bad guy, then I get to save some face and some virtue as I walk away, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, at the conclusion to skeletons, I kind of, um, I brought up the question, you know, that I've been asked sometimes, where do you think the caricatures come from? You know? And, and I think there's a both end here, but I think in part, the characters are things we've inherited, you know, that we've been in this, the bad teaching and all that. But then I think also from another angle, the caricatures can be things that we create and we project and we propel because I think often if I can paint God as the vindictive jerk who has a chip on his shoulder, whatever, if I can paint God as the bad guy, it can justify or make me feel better about going the direction I want to go. Yeah. And so my sense now is like, going, I don't want to, I want to take in good faith where someone says that they're at, but you go down that road 20 plus times, you know, and you sort of go, okay, I also don't want to be naive and going, sometimes the stated reason is not the actual reason. And there may be things that um, I just want to go in eyes wide open as I'm walking with someone like, attentiveness to the spirit and them in conversation, just trying to serve man, is there maybe something more beneath the surface that's going on? And to be fair, in the last year and a half, I've had, um, well, I'll just say one, to be honest one significant leader um, who not uh, said one thing, did another, was just explicit, like, this is why I'm going. Yeah. You know, I want right. this to be about that. Yeah. Um... It's interesting on the caricature comment because I think in a lot I think one of the reasons why this article is kind of blowing up right now in my circles is because I feel like a lot of people think this article is kind of like a caricature in a way where it's like okay you got some truth but like also some of this stuff seems a little distorted to me now the desire to sin piece I I think some people I think I, I honestly thought that that one of your points was going to be more of like people who um, maybe uh, want to uh, have more queer inclusion, and that's like their version of sinning. And I was going to kind of push back hard on that. I was like, actually, we should talk about that, but that's for a different discussion. But one of my, my points is that I, I wonder how much – okay, for example, I think that even before deconstruction was an actual popular term in the past couple of years – I think that that at some point we've all known someone or have maybe met a leader who's like, you know what, I just want to sleep with someone else and I'm, I'm out of here, right? Is that a, a fruit of deconstruction or is that just people being selfish, which, which any person, whether deconstructing or not, has that capacity of being, right? And I think when when we use the term common, like these are some of the common reasons I found, and one of them is a, de- is a desire to sin, a lot of people in these circles, at least in the circles that I run in, are like, desire to sin, like... I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, like, like I do I want to watch more porn now? Like, is that why I left my entire faith? Like, you know, now if you, if some might say, yeah, like I believe in queer inclusion and you might see that as sinful, but I don't anymore. So I wouldn't even count that as a desire to sin because I'm, I'm frustrated with how the church has handled that. But I think that, that this one for some people, you might get a lot of flack on, honestly, because it's a real pain point of like, I didn't do this or I, well, I didn't ask for this to happen to me just so I can, you know, leave my faith and become like the prodigal son and blow all my inheritance, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, I, maybe just a few 
thoughts or angles on it. Sure. Um, one is, and the point is not uh, for anyone, me or anyone else to kind of go, oh, here's why you're deconstructing, you know, like, oh, it's this or this. Um, but uh, I think on two angles, one, the, the posture hope of the article is to help people who are walking with friends or family who are deconstructing, you know, or loved ones or those who are, who are grappling with. And for me, dude, I think in my earlier years in ministry, I was pretty naive. I just assumed I took a face value. Ah, you say it's this, it's this. Sure. But in retrospect, and, and this one is one that I, I think, honestly, like I don't go into a conversation or relationship with someone that where this they're deconstructing. I don't go in suspicious, like, oh, it's just because you want to sin. You know, like, right. like I think that's <laughs> But um, but I do think it's one that tends to come out more retrospectively. And and one aspect that's been helpful for me is going like, um, I just had someone who's thinking about, man, if you're only looking at it through the intellectual grid, the poor teaching stuff, let's say, then, and someone walks away, you can kind of be going like, I didn't do a good job. If I just had the right answer, I just gave him the right argument. Or the right thing. You know, like if I'm only looking at this kind of like apologetics where I think you're just missing the iceberg beneath the surface, you know? And the reality is like for many, I think it's naive to not be attentive to the fact that like we as humans, we want to live autonomously from God and we will do a lot of gymnastics to justify it, you know? And that's not just for those people out there. That's for me in here. And so in part of it, it's helpful for me as I'm wrestling through stuff kind of do a heart check and go, all right, God, is that an element here? Is that a part of the story? Is this me seeking to justify wanting to stand on my own two feet apart from you? And yeah. And, and so I, I don't know, like to me, that's just reality. <laughs> you know, like, sure. it, it, it's hard to get away from that one. It's just part of the human, human condition, not only experientially, but theologically, if I just go back to um, even the garden, you know, I think the deeper issue was not eating the fruit. You know, like I think the deeper issue was trust broken and the desire to justify. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of this also comes down to how we even define sin, right? In, in the way, and what I mean by that is like we have our Christian American like cultural big no nos, right? But then we have some that we just totally are okay with. I mean, like capitalism and greed is like no problem in churches. We can have mega churches. We can spend millions of dollars on our our, our equipment. And as a musician, I love that. Don't don't misunderstand. But you know, there's certainly yeah. critiques to be made that like our culture in America and the church is like, eh, it is what it is, right? So I think part of that too is like whenever we hear that terminology in an article about deconstruction like it's just a desire to sin it's like well actually like i've been repenting of my colonization for the past like six months so i don't know what you mean by like wanting to sin i've actually been more convicted than ever in a lot of ways that maybe my evangelical church would now label me with the woke phrase or progressive when in reality i'm just trying to repent of my own racism that i've been complicit in right so i think that is a big part of this conversation that we can't dig too deep in here for sake of time but even how we define what are like the common sins right that in our evangelical culture versus Versus like how some of us are kind of, maybe as Tim Mackey would put it, right, have like a broader view of how sin is just a crookedness of the world and how we can yeah. be complicit in the cycle of chaos or the cycle of God's order on earth, right? So I think for me, that, that, that category has just totally exploded the past couple of years of really rethinking what sin is, more from just a list of do's and don'ts, more to just making yeah. poor choices by trusting my own wisdom instead of partnering with God's wisdom. Agreed. No, yeah, I mean, if, if the question is, dude, what is sin? I think one of the challenges in, you know, an article like this, just to, yeah, you know, is even the brevity. It's kind of like Twitter, dude. You got this many oh, characters. Yeah. You know, even our, 
So the original article was uh, 3,000 words. And thankfully, a good editor friend helped me chop it down to 1,800 just because. Sure. Yeah, format for that context is better much here. Um, and so, you know, there's there's nuance that is good to elaborate. But if we're elaborating on, dude, what do we mean by sin? Yes and amen. Like we're talking about way deeper than just the behaviors, but into some of the root as it relates to, yeah. um, again, I think trust, you know, broken trust or belief or faith or allegiance or how you want to put that, you know, so the terminology of like yeah. our, our trust in Jesus and, and God being broken and seeking to live off our own wisdom versus the wisdom of God. Yeah. All and right. I think I, yeah. Good. The part, part that I would just kind of land on there, that uh, my push, not on you, but just on, on the conversation, the resistance to that is going, I just theologically, experientially, personally, every, at every level, that is just so pervasive everywhere in me, in the world, and everything like the, the root that we're talking about that I just think it's naive to ignore it in the midst of a conversation like this. You know, if, if we're talking sure. about yeah. grappling with God, yeah, deconstruction, I, yeah, I definitely would think that it's, it's worth including in the conversation. Fair point. All right, number four, and again, thanks for hanging in. Street cred. Now, this <laughs> one, I gotta be honest. I was when I read this, I'm like street cred. I'm like honestly, Josh. I thought I was like, or whatever. I'm I was like, like I'm the old dad. You can see how many gray hair I got, man. I'm I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the '90s. Uh, whatever. My, my honest thought was, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, what is he doing? So I, I, I this one, I think for me, out of all of them, this one was the most like. I don't yeah. see it. Most of us have lost our faith communities. Well, most of us don't have any friends any right now. Most of us are not seeing celebrities deconstruction. Then you threw in Rob Bell. I'm like, Rob Bell, I love Rob Bell. You know, so like yeah. explain this one. What does this mean? Doubt is hip. You know, I don't see it that way at all, but do you? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, man, totally. So uh, just to give, again, I think context, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm writing out a particular context, but Portland, 15 years, college channel last three and a half years. That is it, man. Like it is the norm, the default. So let's just take Portland over the years. What I saw as mentioned earlier was um, people moving from somewhere else kind of uprooted. And there's this, who am I now in this new place? And the cultural hostility. Now I'm sure this is different in the Bible Belt, different places, but the cultural hostility, explicit and subtle and implicit as well in both of the environments that I've lived in the last 20 years or really for life um, has been strong, <laughs> strong, you know? Uh, and so I think, dude, again, I think it's naive to ignore the immense social pressure that is on us. So I think of like what Charles Taylor would talk about is like cross pressure today of just, uh, um, and I think this is true in urban environments, which has implications, you know, which has to do with dude being in the mix with a ton of people who see things differently, whatever. And, and that's all good, but the cross pressure that puts to, um, uh, well, back up big picture man to me it just seems blatantly obvious like there's immense social pressure in many of the environments where people are deconstructing to align with the norm now i don't want to discount the reality that, like dude, people have lost family or friends or communities they grew up with um but i also don't want to miss or pretend that there's not immense social pressure and often people who are deconstructing and again are have been uprooted from those very communities that they've you know and they're trying to find themselves in a new new context and all um so i, I guess i would be more interested in kind of putting the question back and going how is that 
wrong. <laughs> like, like you can convince me otherwise, but to me, like the social pressure to identify with Jesus and historic Christianity, whatever, um, it just seems blatantly obvious to me, at least in the circles I'm in, like you're swimming upstream if that's the way you're actually swimming. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. maybe it's how we, maybe it's how we see the terms, but you know, when I see street cred, I think like it's what you're doing to fit in. Right. That's the idea. Right. Like you're trying to say, Hey guys, like, of course I believe this. Right. And I, I think that one of the things that I think is important for you to keep in mind and maybe for the listeners is that, and again, I, I engage with a lot of people and I'm not claiming to be, have a scientific polling, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the Pew research center, but, um, people don't usually ask for deconstruction to happen to them. We're not waiting one day, like can't wait to lose my certainty. Can't wait to lose my sense of, of reality. Can't wait to have this upside down anxiety induced, you know, moment. It just kind of happens. And when it does, we've often found that our church community has no clue what to do with it, or they think that it's just because we're trying to sin more, or it's because we just are liberal, whatever the term is. You you insert that term there. And then we end up losing that community, and then we're by ourselves, and then we find people online, and we go, oh, thank God, I'm not alone. And that's like, that's the street cred, I guess, is like, yeah, this happened to me. But as far as people like, you know, like, I'm just trying to talk to the cute barista at Starbucks, and she said she's deconstructing, and now so am I. I just find that like very implausible. Now, again, I, New Jersey is pretty liberal. It's a pretty liberal area. It's not as liberal as people think, but it's so liberal. And I, I've met friends my whole life who aren't Christians. And, you know, I've always been pretty, you know, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian and this is what I believe. I've always been transparent about that. And I just don't know, like, I, and again, maybe you know someone. I don't know of anyone, nor have I ever heard the claim in any of the wide circles I follow and run in that, yeah, I'm just glad I'm cool now because I've deconstructed. Most people are lamenting and are in pain and agony from losing what they thought was their life forever, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, just to say a little clarity here, that, that's really helpful to hear. It's clear. I'm not saying like, hey, I want street cred, so I'm going to go through this agonizing process of dismantling my belief structure, right? Okay. But what I am saying is more, and it's not like, hey, I keep barista at Starbucks. It's more, let's give an example. Like, um, so the social pressure is norms. Okay. I'm young, 20 some student, just moved to, uh, Portland for jobs, graphic designer. I'm making hundred and you know, over six figures, like loads of money. I can do whatever I want. And I'm meeting a lot of cool people at work and on the town. And, um, and dude, why wouldn't I, oh my gosh, why, when am I not going to participate in this thing? Or why am I, I'm dating. So why am I going to wait till marriage for a Or why am I going to, um, live a different way, act a different way, be a different way in the mix? Like the social pressure is strong to fit in and to do so alienates you from some of the traditional norms of, you know, living faithfully to Christ. And I think the reality is, dude, it becomes a lot easier to hit brunch on Sundays with some mimosas and go do what I want to do than it does to, yeah, than it does to fight for holiness and life with the people of God. And so I think time and time again, like seeing friends who, and so that wasn't like, um, again, like I'm thinking of deconstructing, not just as like the intellectual side of it is primary. I'm thinking more of like, dude, these are strong, powerful incentives and drivers and pressures that people are feeling. And in a lot of those conversations, um, there was that wrapped in and going like, I just don't buy God anymore, you know? But I think it just seemed painstakingly obvious. I've got a conversation with someone coming up where it's like, dude, who's, 
from historically here in our context, and like feels like the same thing, you know, and, and like, again, this is one where I don't want to judge people's motives, but I do want to be attentive to this is a really strong incentive and pressure that many are feeling. And I've seen a lot of folks who say that like where it looks pretty painstakingly obvious, like this is, you just don't want the pressure to fit in. And I think Jesus speaks to this when he talks about things like, dude, there are those who love the glory that comes from people more than the glory that comes from God. Um, that's a reality, a competition for our affections. And there's the, you know, man, do not love anything in the world. If you do, like if the love of the Father is not in you. Uh, and I don't think by the world there, he's not talking about God's good creation, but he's talking about what's become normative and the systems and patterns and things of this, uh, things of a culture and humanity wrapped up in rebellion against God. And so I just think, man, there's immense social pressure that's all around us. And I don't think people go, I, it's not to me an explicit, like, I want to fit in. So I'm going to start making up questions about God. I think it's more like, dude, I'm immersed in waters that are pulling me really strong. And I don't know that I buy it anymore enough to stay in. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's, um, I don't know. I, I think that's just, to me, it's obvious. Like, it just seems like, yeah, that's, but. Well, yeah. I don't, you know, we really, I, for sake of time, because we really are, you know, at the hour mark here, I want to respect your time, but I, I don't want to dive too deep down that hole of like, you know, um, some of that stuff only because it opens up, opens up a whole can of worms of, you know, how we view some of these things. So give it time for a few more, a few, do you have a few, few more minutes to spend? Spare? Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, up to half an hour. Yeah. I'm Perfect. Uh, oh, no, I've got. Got about ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes. Okay, so here's well, what I, I want. thought it was. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, you're fine. I, I've got about ten. Minutes. I appreciate that. I appreciate you again coming on. Here's what I want to maybe give my perspective on a few things. So if I was writing an article of like the top four or you know four common causes why people deconstruct, I I pull people. I do a deconstruction Zoom group sometimes. I I think I have a good grasp at least for a lot of people in my circles, and again, not everyone. Here are the four reasons I would say that we're deconstructing. Number one, this is one that happens all the time, could not reconcile the American evangelical institution's overwhelming support for Donald Trump and was, um, and when I when I went to, to dive into how this happened, the history of American evangelicalism in America is terrifying. That was number one. Number two, the American evangelical church's treatment of minority groups, especially the black and queer community. Uh, number uh, three, approaching the scripture in a fundamentalist way that allows no other perspective. Uh, and number four, I would say church abuse and church, you know, um, hurt essentially. And and yeah. I think that like the data is there. I think that we know why this is happening. Um, on the back, of, I have this book. You can see it over here. Uh, you know, yeah. by, written by Bridget Rivera. Um, Heavy burdens. Seven ways the church harms the LGBTQ community. She just this book's amazing. Her thesis, one of her points, is that statistically, the only group of people that are at a higher risk of suicide if they attended a church is the queer community. They actually, their risk of suicide goes up, all right? And so we see this. We see what's happening, and we go, at least, again, in my context, we don't go, oh, I'm an atheist now. I don't care about Jesus. We go, wait a second. If I'm reading this Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount about loving your enemies and wanting truth and loving the, the poor and desolate, 
and I'm seeing this church that is really bowing the knee to political power, and it's so twisted, and people are on stages giving AR-15s away as pastors to people like General Flynn, Flynn, who's a disgraced general, you know, and he's making comments about how he wants to go to D.C. with it to rounds of applause. I mean, I have the video of that actually happening, and no one or not many people who are, I would say, big-time evangelical leaders say anything. We go, something is way wrong, like way wrong, way wrong, and I got to do some digging. So I think those are are the top four reasons I would give you as to why many of us are deconstructing our American evangelical faith and theology, not so much our commitment to Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if I can offer a thought or two in response, you know, like just the first would be, yeah, most of what you, a lot of what you said, I would place like one, two, and four as expanding on the category of church hurt, you know, kind of the way I uh, unpack that was not just a personal abuse or a dissolution, you know, but had to do also with the disillusionment at um, the reality of the church's moral failures, you know? And so to one, one, two, and four, I'd say um, with a lot of that going, yeah, like I see that as if that had been a 4,000 word article, maybe <laughs> I get into more of that, right? Sure. Uh, sure. And with, uh, with number, um, I can't remember, I think it was number three, did feel like it had to do with some of the like teaching element, you know? And so I feel like it was expanding on some of that. So, I mean, honestly, like I, a lot of what you mentioned there, I wouldn't necessarily agree with it. It felt like I'm more expanding upon just some loose, rough categories that I, you know, I was putting down there. But again, I think this is the, if I had something to do and hopefully <laughs> encourage your listeners to our, you know, to our here, I think just at the end of the day, um, the question again that I would want to, leave folks with is I think at the crux of the matter is dude are you moving towards union with Jesus and his people or away from it right and and when I say this people leave the American evangelical that's why I mean I don't know go Anglican or Anabaptist or I and some of them are evangelical dude I don't know like go Catholic whatever like um where that is like I think there's a lot of flexibility there but my conviction is that life is found in Jesus I think of the you know, when the disciples and it's like, dude, they're disillusioned and things are hard and the whole thing's going on. And, but, uh, Philip Peter was just like, well, where else would we go? Who else has the words of life? And my conviction, what I would want to bear witness to from where I sit is that life is found in Jesus. Life is found in union with him. And it's okay to be in a process in all that. And to, it's okay to have questions, doubt and struggle, but I would want to hold that as kind of the North star or the GPS destination or whatever, you know, and like, as long as that's the goal. And if we're wanting to use deconstruction to talk about, I got to reevaluate and kind of have space to process and grapple and wrestle. And I'm in a toxic environment. I got to get out to be able to deal with some of that. And to get but if we're talking about getting there. Um, that's great. You know, like, but that's the part I would want to encourage people to make that your end game. And I think we're on the same. And my encouragement, or I think my piece to you and to maybe people who are more in that, you know, on that side of things is that a lot of us for the first time are breathing new oxygen in a brand new Christian house that we never knew existed. And we just need trust that we can, we can navigate these waters. Even if we're, we start opening some doors that maybe you don't think are healthy, like we still are adults and we want to explore and at least come to our own conclusions at some point. And it might take time. It won't be overnight. But I think a lot of people in my community just want to know that like 
they're still going to have friends, even if they open up different doors that maybe some people go, I'm not sure about that Peter Enns door. We go, you know what, though? I think he has some points. And you can go, you know what? I understand that. The Christian faith can hold both of our thoughts in tension because there's certainly room for it. I think that's what a lot of us are asking. You know, like, we just want permission, (laughs) if you will, I guess, or I don't know, something that says, hey, we get it, man. It's a big house. Explore it. There's ways to view this stuff. It's, It's okay. Well, thank you. Thanks for the the conversation, Tim. I really appreciate the chance to yeah, yeah. interact better on it. No, I appreciate you making, coming on, Josh, and taking some of my questions from the community, and you know, giving you space to explain some things. So keep in touch. And if you ever need someone else, you know, we have plenty of people who love to talk to you. And best wishes to you and your family. Yes, best wishes to you all as well. Thank you. Great. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Josh. Take care.